Hello, mystery and thriller fans, and welcome to episode two of Michael Bradley's thriller, Dead Air. I'm Bridget, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. Previously on Dead Air, Caitlin Ash, our Philadelphia DJ, receives anonymous letters referring to the mysterious shallows and requesting that she play an Ario Speedwagon song. You get the sense that Caitlin knows darn well what the shallows are and which song the letter writer wants to hear, but she won't admit that to her boyfriend. With Brad, she plays down her worries, says it's just a crazy fan, and refuses to involve the police, but we know that she has a stalker. And on top of that, there's a serial killer roaming the streets of Philadelphia. Are they one and the same? Five. I kick at the pile of cigarette butts. How many are scattered on the concrete? There must be forty or more, each bent and crushed, some even browning with age. It won't be long before the one dangling between my fingers joins the others. What time is it? One thirty in the morning. Where is she? The silence in the garage at this hour is eerie. It's no wonder Laura looks frightened every night when she emerges from the elevator. Even without my letters and calls, it can't be easy to make that short trek to her motorcycle without some anxiety. I felt it the first few times I stood here. But the angst of those early days is long gone. The night air is crisp and reminds me of the first night I waited for her to emerge. When was that? Late December? I stood in below freezing temperatures just to get a glimpse of her. The first time in over a decade. When she came out, I tried to call her name, but the word stuck in my throat. What could I say to her? Remember me? Remember Jessie Riley? No, that wouldn't do at all. Another drag from my cigarette. The elevator doors slide open, the sound echoing through the otherwise oppressive silence. She hovers in the doorway. Her face is a bit pale tonight. What's that in her hand? Pepper spray? Ha, like that's going to stop me. As exhausting as the past few months have been, there's something to be said for the genuine pleasure I've received watching her anxiety mount every night. Seeing the subtle changes in her as apprehension and fear slowly engulf her. To make this quick would be to shortchange justice. She crosses to the motorcycle, mounts it, and drives off. I'm not far behind. She's probably heading to his apartment. It's a ten-minute drive at this hour. She parks in the visitor's lot in front of the building and goes inside. I pull up to the curb across the street. It's one of those older apartment complexes that's been renovated with all the latest amenities. 
but the brick facade still gives it that old city look. An indoor pool, fitness center, private parking, guarded entrance, and ridiculously high rent. Not the kind of place I'd be happy with, or could afford. The front desk security must know her. She cruises right on in. Through the glass doors, I can see her wave at the burly guard. She acts like she owns the place. She disappears in the elevator. I need another cigarette. I remember the first time I realized who she was. It was seven, maybe eight months ago. I arrived on time for my therapy appointment, but Dr. Lloyd, as usual, was running behind. He was a decent enough psychologist, just a bit disorganized. I've been seeing him for over 12 years. Damn, has it really been that long? He probably knows more about me than anyone else. He knows better than anyone how I feel about Laura. While I was waiting, I picked up one of the obligatory magazines that were scattered throughout the waiting room. Philadelphia Magazine's Best of Philly issue. Maybe a month or two old, but not so out of date that I'd read it already. I scanned the pages, reading the headlines, but missing most of the words. I didn't even see the pictures. I mean, I saw them, of course, but what they showed didn't register. But then that one picture caught my eyes, tickled something in the back of my mind, wisps of better, happier days. I wasn't sure at first, but something was so familiar about the face staring at me from the pages of Philadelphia magazine. Was it her? Could it be her? Different name, different hairstyle. But that smile, I couldn't mistake that smile. It had to be her. Ironic that she'd be called the best of Philly. If I could have spoken to her just for a moment, to know that she hadn't forgotten. Maybe she was just as shattered as I was, just as broken. Perhaps we could share a drink and raise a glass in memory of what we lost. But it was hard to hide my excitement during my therapy session. Lloyd may not have it all together, but he's damn good at picking up changes in my behavior. You seem a bit agitated today, he said. No, what made you think that? He reclined back in his chair and looked at me across the small office. Just a few small things. Your foot is working like a piston. You keep wringing your hands, and you've avoided my gaze for the past ten minutes. I did some fast-talking and serious lying to avoid telling him what was setting out in his waiting room. I doubt he believed me, but he jotted a few notes on his notepad and let the matter drop. Forty minutes later, I was out of his office and racing out of the city. I now had a purpose. I needed to find out all I could about Laura Hobson. That was the last time I saw him, or any other therapist. She 
is the only therapy I need. I take another long drag on my cigarette and let the smoke drift out the partially open window. She'll be here for the rest of the night. No point in sticking around. Best to head home and grab a couple hours of sleep. I'll catch up with her in the morning. Maybe this would be a good night to crank things up a notch. An escalation, as the profilers would call it. Perhaps a little surprise at home would do the trick. I need to make another visit there anyway. The bedroom's out of focus. Need to make a quick adjustment. Yes, a little surprise at home would be just the thing. Something to say I know where she lives. The clock on the car stereo says it's 1.45. I've got a few hours before daybreak. Plenty of time to run over to her house. 6. Rodney Shapiro cursed at the driver in front of him in the pale blue Ford Escort. His headache left him with a shortage of patience and an even shorter temper. With a hangover drumming on his temples, the last thing he wanted to do on a Saturday morning was get stuck behind a driver who actually obeyed the speed limit. Perhaps he should have tossed the teardrop light on the roof after all. He tried to remember how much he'd had to drink the previous night. And how much money he'd lost. The monthly Friday night poker game with his old college buddies had gone on later than usual, and now he was paying the price. Thank God he wasn't headed to a murder scene. He was certain he'd not be able to handle a murder on a morning like this. Thumping his thumbs on the steering wheel, Rodney tossed the previous night around in his head. He'd been on a roll. He remembered that much. A full house, a couple straights, and a straight flush had put him up early in the evening. But he couldn't quite remember where it had all gone wrong. He really needed to lay off the gym beam while playing poker. He must have lost at least a few hundred last night. What was that quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald? He smiled as he remembered. First you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes you. Yep, that was just about how it happened. The morning's call from the dispatcher had jarred him awake. A possible stalking case. He'd been tempted to hang up and go back to bed. Couldn't uniform handle a stalker? A minor celebrity, the dispatcher had told him. Fifteen years on the force, and this is what it got him. Celebrity stalking cases. Probably some overreacting rich businessman whose donations have earned him the mayor's personal phone number. He knew the kind, demanding 24-hour protection because they received some junk mail. What a way to spend the weekend, and with a hangover nonetheless. There was a silver lining, he figured. At least he didn't work for the Philadelphia police. With a serial killer on the loose, he heard Philly detectives were working around the clock with no end in sight. The search for the GBT strangler headlined the news every night. The latest victim, 
a 23-year-old gay man, had been found in an alley near Penn's Landing yesterday morning. That was seven in the past five months. Rodney didn't envy Philly police. Not one bit. To his relief, the Ford Escort turned onto a side road. Rodney pushed on the accelerator, and he stuck his hand out the window, about to wave his middle finger high in the air. But after a moment's thought, he drew his hand back in the car. It was the hangover talking, nothing more. As Rodney drew his car up to the house on Garnet Lane, he saw Detective Julie Lewis leaning against one of the two police cars parked in the driveway. She chatted with a young, uniformed officer he didn't recognize. Must be one of the rookies. When he turned off his car, Julie nodded in his direction and the officer followed her gaze. They both laughed for a moment before she stepped away from the car and moved down the driveway toward him. He wondered what she'd said to make the rookie laugh. Probably told him about last year's Christmas party. God, will she never let him hear the end of that? As he stepped from the car, he noticed the steaming Starbucks cup in her hand. He smiled. Perhaps he could forgive her just this once. As Julie approached, she extended the cup toward him. He took it in both hands and drew it up to his face. He sighed. I figured you'd need that, she said. Last night was poker night, wasn't it? Rodney nodded, taking a long sip from the cup. One cream, two sugars. It was perfect. Thanks for this. I really needed it. How much did you lose? He shook his head. I'm not sure. Julie laughed. That bad, huh? As he took another sip, he gave Julie a quick once-over. Black knee-high boots, gray slacks, and navy blouse, all covered with a light windbreaker. Her short hair, dyed cranberry red, was immaculate. Even on a weekend call-out, she managed to look professional. Particularly when compared to his Villanova sweatshirt, blue jeans, and Nike sneakers. At least he managed to remember his badge. It hung from his neck on a silver chain. Did you hear about GBT? Yeah. That's the second one this month. He's upping his game. Rodney nodded toward the house. What have we got? Julie pulled a notepad from her coat pocket. She flipped through a few pages until she found what she was looking for. Victim's name is Caitlin Ash. Have you heard of her? The name sounded familiar, but he didn't know why. He shrugged his shoulders. Should I have? WPLX. She does the evening show. She looked at him as if waiting for a sign of recognition. When none came, she added, Love songs at ten? He shrugged again. I got nothing. Julie looked disappointed. He waited for the usual diatribe that followed any of his geographic lapses. She was always critical of his lack of interest in the community around him. How can you have lived here for 25 years and not know the area radio stations? I don't listen to the radio. I know, you've said. You don't listen to the radio. You barely watch TV. What the hell do you do in your spare time? Lose money at poker? He took another sip from his coffee. Can we get back to Ms. Ash? She looked back down at her notepad. 
Caitlin Ash came home this morning to find a threatening letter taped to her front door. Draining the remaining coffee from his cup, Rodney gestured toward the house. One letter? One letter does not a stalker make. Julie raised an eyebrow. Sounds like Yoda. Aristotle. She placed a hand on her hip, tilting her head to the side. What the hell do you know about Aristotle? Rodney only grinned. They'd worked together for two years, but there was plenty she didn't know about him. He'd always been guarded when it came to the details of his personal life. Over time, she'd picked up bits and pieces, like the poker game, but it was rare that his personal and professional lives ever crossed paths. It was the way he liked it. Rodney rubbed his cheek and felt the roughness of day-old stubble. He could only imagine what he must look like. He'd rolled out of bed, thrown on some clothes, and headed out the door, never even stopping to comb his hair. At least the coffee took the edge off the headache. He glanced at Julie. You got a tic-tac? My breath's probably strong enough to cut through the bank vaults. She pulled a box of mints from her pocket, dumping a few into his outstretched hand. The letter consisted of magazine clippings pasted on a sheet of paper. Uniform bagged and tagged it before I got here. You spoken to her yet? She shook her head. Not yet. I just arrived a few minutes before you. He ran his hand through his hair. Then let's go speak to Ms. Ash. The young woman seated on the beige leather sofa was leaning forward, her head bowed and hands folded between her knees. Her long auburn hair fell forward and concealed her face. Rodney nodded to the man seated next to her. His dark hair was disheveled, looking as if he'd just rolled out of bed. God, I hope mine doesn't look that bad. When the young woman lifted her head, he was momentarily taken aback. The hair, the face. She looked a lot like Carol. The auburn hair was longer than his daughter's, and the face was filled out a little more. The woman was older, but the distinct resemblance was uncanny. She could be Carol's doppelganger. Rodney drew in a deep breath. How long had it been since he'd visited her? A year? Maybe two? The young woman's eyes were bloodshot and her cheeks blotchy. She'd been crying. Pushing the hair back from her face, she tried to smile, but he could tell it was half-hearted. She began to rise to her feet, but he quickly waved for her to remain seated. Rodney's gaze fell on the third person in the room. Craig Peterson, a uniformed officer, stood in the far corner. Rodney gave a brief wave of his hand to Peterson and then approached the couple on the sofa. I'm Detective Rodney Shapiro from the Lower Marion Township Police, he said. Gesturing behind him, he added, and this is Detective Julie Lewis. Julie drew up beside him, nodding toward the couple. The man sitting on the sofa ran a hand through his hair, then said, Brad Ludlow, this is my girlfriend, Caitlin Ash. Thanks for coming. As Rodney lowered himself onto the leather love seat across from the couple, he noticed Brad reach over to take hold of Caitlin's hand, the loving grasp of reassurance. He'd seen it so many times between loved ones, 
a quick squeeze to bolster the courage of a grieving or injured friend or family member. He'd often wondered if it really worked. Ms. Ash, can you tell me what happened? How you found the letter? He said. Caitlin's gaze drifted from him to Julie, where it lingered for a long moment. I was staying at Brad's place last night. I have an apartment in downtown Philly, Brad added. We were sharing a bottle of wine to unwind. It was anti-dedication night, Caitlin said. Rodney closed his eyes for a moment. Maybe the coffee's worn off. He was already lost in the conversation. Maybe Julie was right. He needed to pay more attention to the community around him. Anti-dedication? Julie leaned over his shoulder. She plays a song that's basically the opposite of a love song, and people can call in their dedications for it. I only do it on Friday nights. Caitlin took a longer-than-usual look at Julie, perhaps out of appreciation that, unlike him, she knew of her work. Sorry, have we met before? No, Julie said, shaking her head. I don't think so. Rodney cleared his throat. Can we get back to the letter? You said you stayed in Philly last night? Caitlin turned toward him. That's right. This morning, I drove home to find a letter taped to my door. Her gaze locked on his. Rodney was unable to shake her singular likeness to his daughter. This was how he'd hoped his daughter would have looked in ten years. But after his last visit to see Carol, he'd given up on that dream. What time did you leave Brad's apartment? We had breakfast around nine, and she left close to ten, Brad said. Rodney gave the man a half-smile. He couldn't stand loved ones who answered questions for the victim. Too controlling in his mind. Have to be patient, he thought. I'm sure he means well. I got back here about 10.30. I knew what it was as soon as I saw it on the door, said Caitlin. She called me in a panic, Brad said. I rushed over immediately. Rodney turned her words over in his head. Something she'd just said had caught his attention. How did you know? Caitlin looked puzzled for a moment. What? You said you knew right away what it was, Rodney said. How did you know? There have been other letters. 7. Rodney watched the silver BMW as it backed out of the driveway, moved along Garnet Drive, and then turned onto Belmont Avenue. As the car sped off, he caught a brief wave from Brad. Caitlin slouched in the passenger seat, looking despondent. Her fidgeting throughout their interview revealed how uncomfortable she was with his questioning. She was visibly shaken by recent events. Spending the rest of the weekend at Brad's apartment had seemed to come as a welcome suggestion. Rodney had waited with the others in the living room while Caitlin went upstairs to pack a few things in an overnight bag. While she was upstairs, he studied the bookshelves in the living room. He smiled as his eyes scanned the titles. War and Peace, Anna Karenina, Milton's Paradise Lost, Pride and Prejudice. This was where the resemblance between Caitlin and his daughter ended. 
Carol could never stand the classics. He shook his head slowly. The last time he'd seen her, Carol had lost a lot of weight. She'd looked bony and emaciated. Her once auburn hair had been dyed jet black and looked like it hadn't been washed in days. The red marks on her arm had been a dead giveaway. She was on drugs, he was sure. He had resolved to talk to the warden and bring this to his attention, knowing full well that drugs seemed even easier to get and harder to combat inside than on the street. That last meeting hadn't gone well, with his daughter seeming more resentful than ever. She'd spewed a litany of scornful words across the cold metal table while he sat silent, feeling her every vicious word like a dagger to the heart. When Carol was escorted back to her cell, he could do nothing but remain motionless and watch her vanish back into the prison. Rodney glanced at his watch. 2.35. He leaned against his car and folded his arms. What do you think? Julie stood before him, gazing over the pages of her notepad. They'd spent two hours talking to Brad and Caitlin. It hadn't been anywhere near as fruitful as he would have liked it to be. Not a lot to go on, Julie said. I know. Eight other letters, he said. All in the trash. If forensics can't find a fingerprint on this latest one, we'll have damn near nothing to work with. Since the other seven were delivered to the radio station, should I liaise with Philly police to see what they can do? Rodney nodded. Talk to them. I doubt there'll be much they can do unless things escalate further. They've got enough going on with the GBT Strangler running amok in the city. Julie flipped to another notepad page. What about getting a trace set up on the request lines, just in case this creep calls in again? Rodney stroked his chin for a moment and then shook his head. Beside the fact that the radio station is out of our jurisdiction, we'll be hard-pressed to get permission to do that, especially since there's only been one call. Nine letters in total, all of them identical in structure. Magazine clippings pasted on eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper. Until this latest one, the message had always been the same a request to play an REO Speedwagon song, but never stating which one. Creating a letter in that fashion seemed a bit too time-consuming to Rodney. Why go through all the trouble? And what was up with that signature? The Shallows? Caitlin had explained that the first letter arrived over a month ago, with a new one arriving each consecutive Friday since. The frequency accelerated this past week with one letter every day in her mailbox at the radio station. Why didn't you report this to someone sooner? He'd asked. I didn't take it seriously. In my line of work, we get the occasional enthusiastic fan. She made air quotes with her fingers for the word enthusiastic. Rodney narrowed his eyes. Her rationale was naive and a bit far-fetched. Enthusiastic fan? Caitlin looked down at the floor. At first, it seemed innocent enough. Just someone playing a prank. I started to get worried this week. She glanced at Brad. We talked last night. 
I decided to speak to the police on Monday. And the letter you received yesterday? Where's that? Gone, just like the others. Rodney had cringed when she said it. That was vital evidence lost forever. Forensics might be able to pull something from the most recent letter, but they'd have stood a better chance if they had more to work with. What about those magazine clippings? It sounded more like a bad cliché. Why not print a letter from a computer? Surely that would be easier. What about the boyfriend? Julie asked, snapping his thoughts back to the present. Rodney remained silent for a moment. Brad Ludlow looked genuine enough, but it wouldn't have been the first time a man played head games with his girlfriend. Not sure yet. We've got to play it cool with him. He'll know the law better than we do, including every loophole. If it is him, I don't want him getting away because of some technicality. He's a business attorney, not a trial lawyer. Doesn't matter, he said. Let's run a check on both of them, him in particular. I doubt that it will turn up anything, but you never know. While Julie scribbled in her notepad, Rodney acknowledged his nagging misgivings about his conversation with Caitlin. There had been a reluctance in her answers that he couldn't explain. These letters keep referring to a song, as if you know what it is. Any idea why? he had asked. Caitlin turned her gaze away from him to study the spines of the books on the shelf along the far wall. No, I don't know why. He sighed. What about from your past? Anything that you can think of that might even remotely involve Ario Speedwagon? She rose from the sofa, crossed to the bow window, and looked out over the front yard. She looked at her hands, seeming preoccupied with her fingernails. I can't... She slid her hands into her back pockets and stared out at the street. There's nothing that I can think of. Nothing at all? Think carefully. Even the smallest detail could help us. With her gaze turned toward the window, Caitlin appeared reticent, either unable or unwilling to speak. Rodney studied her carefully, noting the slight tremor in her arms. He was struck by the similarity between this moment and the moment when he'd confronted his daughter about the accident. Carol had avoided eye contact as well. Detective, I'm sure she'd tell you if she knew what this was about, said Brad. She wants to get to the bottom of this as much as you do. Spoken like an attorney. There was something off with Caitlin's behavior. She'd been visibly upset when he'd arrived, but by the time she had left with her boyfriend, Caitlin had become resolute that it was nothing more than a harmless prank. She knew more about this than she was letting on. He was certain of it. Where's that letter? He said to Julie. She reached into the leather bag at her feet. I've got it here. She handed him a clear plastic bag, the letter sealed inside. Rodney held it before him, gazing at the sheet of paper. At first glance, the placement of the magazine clippings appeared to be random. Small lettering, perhaps from within an article, intermixed with larger letters from headlines and article titles. It was almost juvenile. 
He reread the text, finding that the message made no more sense to him now than it did the first time he read it. Can't remember the song? You'll pay for your forgetfulness. The shallows holds no more love for you. As he reread the words, Rodney pressed his tongue to the roof of his mouth, making a clicking noise. He didn't need to look at Julie to know that she'd be cringing. She hated when he did that. He leaned toward her and pointed at the letter. The shallows must be a person or a place. Look at the other words. Each is its own clipping. But the shallows, that's pieced together from multiple clippings, like he couldn't find it on its own. Julie nodded. Not surprising. It's not a word you see often in magazines, she smiled. Not that you'd know. He handed the plastic-wrapped letter back to her. See if forensics can tell us what magazines the clippings came from. I doubt it will help us. But you never know. Rodney thought once again about Caitlin Ash. She knows more than she's telling us. Julie flipped her notepad closed, slipping it into her pocket. You going to the station? Eventually. I missed breakfast and lunch. I've got to grab something to eat. I'll meet you there in an hour. Julie picked up her leather bag and crossed the street, heading for her blue Volkswagen parked along the opposite curb. As he watched her pull away, Rodney folded his arms, leaning back against his car. His eyes roamed up and down the street. Upscale homes, middle-class families enjoying life in the suburbs. A nice, quiet neighborhood. Why did he feel like that was about to all change? 8. Brad held the door for Caitlin and ushered her into O'Toole's Brew Pub. A Saturday night crowd crammed into the Walnut Street taproom. The bar was packed to capacity, every table occupied. An inverted cone-shaped light hung over each booth, illuminating the occupants in the otherwise gloomy light of the pub. Conversations blended into a cacophony of voices that practically drowned out the music from the jukebox. Despite the din, Caitlin picked up the familiar melody of the gin blossoms and smiled. Someone had good taste in music. The hostess by the door waved, then gestured toward the back of the bar. Caitlin grabbed Brad's hand and weaved her way through the crowd. A round of drinks was already on the table when they approached the three square tables that had been pushed together to make room for the gang. Sammy leapt from her seat and threw her arms around Caitlin in a tight embrace. You're late, she said. I was starting to think you weren't coming. Sammy released Caitlin and moved toward Brad, wrapping her arms around his neck. How goes it, legal eagle? He gave her a tentative pat of the back. I'm good. Caitlin heard the awkwardness in his voice and saw the forced familiarity of his gesture. Brad wasn't yet comfortable with Sammy's forthrightness. You'll get used to it, she'd told him the last time they'd been out together. Caitlin remembered when they first started dating, how long it took him to get comfortable with Caitlin herself. Sammy was twice as outgoing. Scott McKay, who sat across the table, 
lifted a Corona bottle and used it to point toward two empty chairs at the table. His salt-and-pepper, shoulder-length hair was pulled back in a ponytail. There was a trace of fatherly affection in his smile and a sparkle in his eyes. The 52-year-old program director had been like a father to her from the first day she started working at WPLX. He took her under his wing and was just as responsible for her success in Philadelphia as she was. Scott's wife Amanda sat beside him and gave a vehement wave. Caitlin smiled in return and took a seat at the table next to Brad. Kevin O'Neill, who was sitting across the table, stared at her long enough to make Caitlin notice. What? she asked. What are you drinking? White wine, she said, slightly irritated that Kevin seemed to suggest she couldn't order for herself. I'll have what he's having, Brad pointed at Scott but Kevin didn't seem to acknowledge Brad's order and kept his gaze on her. White wine, Kevin said, then slowly turned toward Brad. And a Corona. Coming right up. Kevin rose from the table and walked to the bar. Caitlin shook her head and admonished herself silently, not to take out her frazzled state on an innocent colleague. It wasn't Kevin's fault that her equilibrium had vanished. Where's Zeke? she asked, ready to enjoy the moment. Sammy sipped from her Guinness, then said, Workin'? No, Justin? Sammy shrugged. Said he was coming. An arm flashed in front of Caitlin's face and set a wine glass down before her. Kevin's fingers brushed across her shoulder as he handed a Corona to Brad. She flinched at his touch. Kevin didn't seem to notice and returned to his seat with a fresh bud light of his own. Scott raised his bottle. Here's to the end of another week. The small group chatted, laughed, and drank. They ordered appetizers and Caitlin relaxed, pushing thoughts about the mysterious letters into the recesses of her mind. These bi-weekly get-togethers were a long-standing tradition among the station staff, an open invitation to anyone who wanted to show up. Attendance often varied, sometimes with a large contingent from the sales staff as well as the on-air DJs making an appearance. But more often than not, it was the DJs who could be considered regulars. Caitlin enjoyed nights like this. The people around the table were the closest thing she had to friends. It had been the same at every radio station where she worked. Broadcasting was a close-knit community, because the odd working hours often prohibited what many would consider a normal social life. The sense of family that arose among station staff frequently took the place of friendships outside of work. This was Caitlin's comfort zone. Each person at the table was dear to her in some way. It was shortly after ten when Justin Case wandered up to the table. With hands buried deep in the pockets of his jeans, he hunched forward over the table, nodding a greeting to everyone. His bare forearms were long and bony. A faded Van Halen t-shirt hung off his pointed shoulders and draped down over his scrawny body. Hey, all. Sup? He said. About time, Kevin said, glancing at his watch. Who was she? Justin straddled the nearest chair rested his arms on the back, 
What are you on about? The only time you're late for something is when a woman's involved. Justin pushed a few stray strands of jet black hair back from his face. Why you gotta get on my case? He smiled, then looked around the table. No holy roller Tyler again? Kevin laughed. Nope. Probably doesn't want to run the risk that he might start having fun in a bar. Scott frowned and shook his head. Come on, guys. Lay off him. His tone was very much that of a parent scolding a child. Whatever. Justin gave a wave to dismiss the rebuke. How does one get a drink around here? Kevin stood and said, I'll get it. What are you having? Jack and Coke on the rocks. When Kevin returned with the drink, Justin raised the glass. Ah, the elixir of life. As the group fell back into friendly banter, Caitlin sipped her wine and allowed her mind to drift. Discussions flew back and forth across the table. Justin talked more with his hands than in words as he recounted some amusing childhood story to Scott. Amanda laughed as Sammy mimicked the reaction Dale Jameson, the station's sales manager, had to the news that he was being moved to a smaller office to make room for a new production studio. Brad drank in the conversations in silence, his arm wrapped around the back of Caitlin's chair. Perhaps it was the camaraderie, or maybe just the wine, but Caitlin felt a warm, comforting sense of calm wash over her. No past to worry about, no future to fret over. Just another Saturday night with a few drinks and good friends. When the first few chords of the next song reached her ears, she gasped. The slow, melodic piano cut through the cacophony in the bar. Each note drove a dagger of fear into her heart. Someone was playing REO Speedwagon on the jukebox. She glanced across the table and caught Kevin staring in her direction. His eyes were piercing and dark. He had a half-smile and winked at her as he placed his beer bottle to his lips to take a drink. A chill crept down her spine. He turned his gaze away from her, but she couldn't help but feel as if he were still watching her from the corner of his eye. She reached for Brad's hand. He was laughing along with the others over some joke Scott had just told. Caitlin had missed it. She looked over her shoulder, scanning the faces of those nearby. Perhaps she would recognize someone. No one was paying her the least bit of attention. She glanced back across the table. Kevin was talking, but she didn't hear his words. All she heard was the song, sharp and clear in her head. As the chorus played over the speakers, a chaotic flood of images sent her head spinning splashing in the water. Jesse's touch, his lips on hers, a cuddle by the bonfire. Then, darker images. A tight grip on her arm, a slap across the face. Jesse's face disappearing. Caitlin shuddered. Her hands, resting in her lap, trembled. Someone was watching her. It felt as if a set of eyes was boring into the back of her head, 
Another quick glance behind her revealed nothing out of the ordinary. It was more than she could stand. She leaned toward Brad. I'm not feeling well. Do you mind if we leave? He looked at her, deep concern in his eyes. You okay? As the chorus repeated, she reached over and took his hand. I just want to go. Nine. She screamed. Flailing her arms, Caitlin struggled to free herself from the hands that grasped her shoulders. Her eyes darted from side to side, peering around the dark room. She fought for air as she wrestled with the tangle of sheets around her body. She bolted upright and tried to clamber from the bed. Two hands gripped her shoulders, pulling her back. Caitlin, wake up, she heard from behind her. It's just a nightmare. She continued to struggle, desperate to pry herself free. Caitlin! The voice sounded more urgent this time, more insistent. Wake up! Closing her eyes, she leaned forward and lowered her face into her palms. Was it another nightmare? Or was it real? It was becoming harder to tell. The water, the darkness... The lines between reality and fantasy blurred. Then, brushing her hair back from her face, she opened her eyes. A light clicked on behind her, illuminating the room in a faint glow. Brad's bedroom. She drew in a deep breath. Brad sat in the middle of the bed, staring at her. His furrowed forehead was creased with shadows from the bedside lamp. Babe. You okay? Caitlin didn't speak. Her mind still fought with the lingering images of dark, icy waters and gray hands clawing at her legs. She was chilled by the frigid sweat that had soaked into her pink T-shirt. When Brad touched her shoulder, she recoiled. Relax. You're safe, he said. She turned away from him and stared into the corner, watching the light dance with the darkness, forming intricate silhouettes of indeterminate shape. Did one of the shadows look like a hand reaching toward her? Caitlin touched the back of her neck. The skin was cold and clammy. What time is it? 3.30. Caitlin sighed, still watching the shadows. Sorry. I didn't mean to wake you. Brad reached for her. This time, she didn't flinch. Must have been some nightmare, he said. You were screaming your head off. She reclined into his arms and felt the warmth of his embrace, but it didn't do much to relieve her trembling. Hold me. We need to talk about this. She looked away. Talking would only mean having to either lie to him or tell him the truth. She didn't want to do either at the moment. There's nothing to talk about. They'd had this argument several times before. Not tonight. Please, not tonight. There is something to talk about. The irritation in his voice was unmistakable. I can't help you if you won't tell me what these letters are about. They're nothing. She stared across the bedroom 
watching the shadows in the far corner. Anything to keep from looking him in the eye. Caitlin, she spun around to face him, but kept her eyes looking down. Can't you believe me? Just let me deal with this in my own way? Is that too hard for you? The outburst surprised her. She hadn't intended to snap at him. Brad was silent for a moment. I'm trying to help. She leaned forward and took his hand. Just hold me tight. As his arms tightened around her, Caitlin closed her eyes and sank deeper into his embrace. The nightmare was still vivid in the recesses of her mind. Murky water around her, a small point of light above her that she had so desperately tried to reach. Cold hands held her back. She'd kicked her legs, trying to free herself. But as soon as she freed herself from the grip of one hand, another would find a hold and drag her deeper into the water. Just let me deal with this in my own way. Her own words trickled back to her. No, not her own words. Jessie's words. Fragments from the past. Words spoken to her in anger only days before his death. She'd only been concerned about his health, but he'd snapped at her, frightened her. Feeling Brad's fingers stroking her hair, Caitlin opened her eyes and looked up into his concerned face. He gave her a reassuring smile, but it did little to ease her fear. She looked into his eyes and wished that she could get lost in the deep blue pools. But no sooner had the thought entered her mind than she was reminded of the waters that had engulfed her in the nightmare. She looked away, shuddering. Babe, he said, I'll be okay. She fought back the tears. Just hold me. Caitlin rested her elbows on the round table holding an aimless gaze across the small kitchen in Brad's apartment. With her chin in her cupped hands, she allowed her eyes to close. Breathing deeply, she smelled the frying bacon. Brad was busy in the kitchen, fixing her an omelet for breakfast. She heard him sniff. The onions he was chopping must have gotten the better of him. She was grateful. Brad had held her in his arms until she finally drifted off. Her slumber for the rest of the night, although fitful, had been uninterrupted. When she awakened at 8.30, he was already awake, sitting in the bed beside her. He gently stroked her hair, and Caitlin rolled over to smile at him. His eyes were tight and worried. Did you sleep better? he asked. How could I not, with you here? He leaned over, kissing her on the forehead. How about breakfast? As Brad diced a tomato, Caitlin thought about the letter she'd found on her door the previous morning. It must have been what had triggered the nightmare. Or perhaps the Yario Speedwagon song at the bar. It had been almost ten years since she'd had any of those dreams. And now, with the arrival of the letters, they were frequent and getting worse progressively. Why did whoever wrote these letters have to dredge up the past? Didn't Jessie deserve to rest in peace? Her mind drifted to an autumn evening years before. 
She recalled Jesse chasing her through the cornfield maze his father created in the field on the farm. She giggled and frolicked through the maze and occasionally glanced to see if he was behind her. Caitlin turned a corner and raced between the walls of brown corn stalks. Catch me if you can, she shouted. A fun game of hide-and-seek with her boyfriend. What more could a sixteen-year-old girl ask for? It was a time of innocence, of young love, without a care in the world. The aging cornstalks rustled as she rushed along the narrow path. Her elbows grazed the wilting brown leaves. She rounded another corner and halted soon after, at a dead end. She'd have to double back. Listening for a moment, Caitlin tried to determine where Jessie was in the maze. The only sound to reach her was a flock of geese overhead, probably heading south for the winter. She was about to head back along the path when a hand reached out and gripped her arm. She screamed and spun around in time to find Jessie pushed through the wall of cornstalks. Gotcha, he said. Not fair. You cheated. Jessie pulled her close smiled, and then kissed her. The sizzle of onions in the pan drew her attention back to the kitchen. Her gaze lingered on Brad. He didn't know about the shallows, but she knew it wouldn't be long before he asked, especially if more letters arrived. She'd never intended to hide anything from him. The topic simply had never come up until now and she'd seen no reason to bring it up herself. What happened at the shallows was ancient history, and she wanted to keep it that way. Brad approached the table carrying two plates. He set one down before her. The omelet was cooked to perfection. The bacon was crisp. The aroma tantalized her senses. Caitlin grinned at him, wondering for a moment what she'd done to deserve his affections. You spoil me. Yes, I do, Brad said, and I'm going to keep on spoiling you. He took a seat across the table from her. He toyed with his own omelet, pushing a piece around the edge of the plate. Caitlin felt his eyes on her, watching as she ate. She felt her cheeks flush red. Brad must have known how embarrassed she was, because he laughed when she glanced up at him. What? she asked. Can't I look endearingly at the woman I love? No. Caitlin shook her head and laughed. Not when I'm eating. His eyes held her in a contemplative stare. Do you want to talk about it? Caitlin pretended that she didn't hear the question and continued to eat, but when she glanced up, he was still staring at her. There's nothing to talk about, she said. You've been having nightmares for a few weeks, ever since you got the first letter. Damn, he noticed. She shook her head. That can't be true. She knew he was right. I wish you'd tell me what this is all about. I feel helpless watching you go through this alone. She ignored his remark and picked at her food. How would he react if he knew the truth? She measured her fear of losing him against the weight of her own shame. For all his love and compassion, would he truly understand if she told him the truth? 
I understand if you don't want to talk about it, he said, looking down at his plate. Just remember, I'm here when you're ready. Her guilt weighed heavy as Caitlin tried to shrug off his concern. She made no response other than a brief nod. He continued to pick at his food, not showing much interest in what was on his plate. He was hurt by her reluctance to talk. She could tell. They'd both been happy. But the letters, and now the nightmares, were stealing that happiness away. She didn't want to lose that happiness. She didn't want to lose Brad. I hate seeing you like this. He set the fork down on the table. You seem so sad. I wish there was something I could do. Caitlin couldn't bear to look in his eyes. Just a bad night, she said, her eyes glued to the plate. I'll be fine. Are you sure? This business is more than just one bad night. She nodded and picked at her omelet, taking small bites despite not having an appetite. Silence fell over the table. Then, with sudden determination, Brad rose from the table and walked from the kitchen. Where are you going? she asked. I'll be back in a sec. Caitlin set the fork down on the edge of her plate. Any other day she would have devoured the omelet. Brad's culinary skills notwithstanding, she had no stomach for food at the moment. She looked across at Brad's empty chair, wondering why he rushed from the room. With arms crossed tight over her chest, she leaned back. Was it possible he knew the truth about her past? Could this be the moment he brought forth a record of all her sins and demanded an explanation? The shallows. What happened there had been buried so deep in her memory for so many years that it had felt like someone else's memory. But she couldn't push it away any longer, and it wasn't fair to keep it from Brad. He deserved to know the truth. What would he think? What would he say? Would he understand why she did what she did? With a resolute air, Caitlin placed her fork down, crossed her arms, and leaned back in the chair. It's time to tell Brad. When he comes back in the room, she decided, I'll tell him everything. Brad returned to the kitchen. He stood before the table, his hands behind his back. She recognized the mischievous smile on his face. He was up to something. She rested her arms on the table and raised her eyebrows. What's going on? I hope this will cheer you up, he said. I was going to wait until our Pocono getaway next weekend, but, well, now is as good a time as any. Brad dropped to one knee before her, bringing his hands out from behind his back. Caitlin gasped when she saw the velvet-covered ring box in his hand. Her cheeks felt warm and flush. She struggled to catch her breath. Her mouth gaped open. Her hands jumped to cover it. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God! Brad held the ring box toward her. Caitlin Ash, will you marry me? She wanted to scream, wanted to fall into his arms. She opened her mouth and then closed it, 
struggling to find the words to answer. The thumping of her heart was loud, echoing in her ears. Can he hear it? He'd flipped the lid open on the ring box. Her eyes caught the dazzle of the large diamond and the smaller ones that encircled it atop the ring. The sparkle was brilliant and mesmerizing. She looked from the ring to him and locked eyes with his. His face beamed with expectation, and she realized that she hadn't answered him yet. Yes, she shouted. Of course I will. Removing the ring from the box, he slipped it onto Caitlin's finger. She fell forward into his arms, bowling him over onto the floor. He drew her down, kissing her long and hard. The floor was cold and hard on her knees, but she didn't care. When their lips parted, she held up her hand to gaze at the ring. It's beautiful, she said. So are you, he said, pulling her close to kiss her again. Caitlin gave in to the moment's passion, and the shallows withdrew to the edge of her conscious thoughts. She'd tell him another day. Why won't Caitlin come clean with Brad? What does she have to hide? Trust me, Detective Rodney Shapiro and his partner Julie Lewis want to know too. So in the next episode of Dead Air, they dig into Caitlin's past. What they learn raises a red flag for Julie, but Rodney, well, he remains protective of Caitlin. And that's a good thing because one night when he follows her home, she almost... No, I won't tell you. You'll have to tune into episode three of Dead Air to find out. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All of our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Camcat Unwrapped also offers other Camcat books as podcasts. Also, check out our interviews with authors, editors, and other bookworms and our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.